0: What is going on, OWS FAM, DFS Fam? Welcome back to another edition of the DFS Lab DraftKings edition. I am your host, JM to win. I will be joined in a moment by Keegan, KTM 128. We will be building another roster for this week for Slate, giving ourselves an opportunity to talk through some of the games, some of the players available on this slate, some of the potential paths to a first place finish, and probably more importantly. Giving us a chance to talk through DFS theory, roster construction techniques, in terms of how we build in DFS to target those first place finishes. With that, let's get started. One week season. What yeah. happened there? <laughs> I know. Uh, the editor's cool. gonna love that. Um,
1: <laughs> our, our little song got
0: cut off quickly, but here I am with Keegan. Keegan, how you doing?
1: i'm doing great man i'm excited to uh be on again and i'm excited to see everybody so
0: yeah i uh i thought it was i thought it was cool that we, you know we started talking before we came on air i asked you what new things you were seeing on the slate you were holding a notebook so uh yeah shout out to that for, for adding that to your process is that something you've done in the past or is that something you just started doing this week to kind of jot down notes
1: um last year i did it i did it with like just pieces of paper. And I think this year I have a lot more like grasp of, uh, DFS. So I think I can do a lot better at it. I just, I think my understanding of everything like defenses, uh, obviously not like at a fundamental level, but at a DFS level, I can at least write down some things that I, that would help me.
0: Yeah. (laughs) You know, one of the things that thoughts are so fleeting and as soon as you are able to capture them in some sort of concrete form, it can help so much. So we actually have, uh, I think most people probably miss this. We, we hammered this a lot the first couple years of OWS and then stopped really talking about it. We actually have a note-taking function in the NFL Edge where at the bottom of each game, you can type in your notes and then save it. and all saves to your profile and you can see all of your notes from all the games together. It's a really cool way to organize your thoughts. Uh, but yeah, I've always used, I've kind of moved, my process around over the years but sometimes it's been uh in a notebook sometimes it's been in the nfl edge notes sometimes it's been in my phone sometimes on my computer uh this year i've actually been doing a lot of voice notes and then using a transcript like an ai transcription just to turn those into typed up thoughts but basically taking those thoughts and capturing them throughout the week and it's not that you're necessarily trying to calcify those thoughts and, and turn them into like concrete form on Wednesday. Like this is what I'm doing this week, but it just kind of gives you that it allows those thoughts to not just disappear as you move through the week. So uh, yeah, really cool to see that, that notebook in hand. So we were talking before we hopped on air and then I said, realize we might as well save it for the show. Um, what are some of the the spots that, that you've been seeing, or I, Or I should say, how did you come to those, those spots? And what are a couple of the spots that, that you're kind of looking at right now?
1: So uh, really, I have four to five uh, games that I think could be a decently high-scoring games. Um, Dolphins, Bills, Chargers, Raiders, uh, Broncos, Bears. Maybe not like high-scoring, but decent points. Like you can get decent DFS points from the pieces on that game. And um, Bengals, Titans. I have in parentheses iffy, just because like I looked. So what I did was to get to this conclusion of these games. What I did was I looked in the 2022 games. Obviously, it's not going to be the exact same, but you can get a rough idea because most teams have the same coaches and probably the same play style. Um, Looked back at those games and figured out like the average um, team total or the game total of the points scored. And the Dolphins and the Bills uh, seem to be the the highest scoring. Uh, Then it was Chargers-Raiders, I'm pretty sure. And uh, after that, it's like a huge drop-off uh, Bengals Titans didn't really score high at all I think it was like 21 to 19 on one of them and then some other low scoring went like 16 to something
0: yeah and you bring up a good point in terms of you know the each game is its own unique unit right we use the example of last year the the Dolphins threw for under 200 yards against the Chargers and managed only 17 points in their game against the chargers chargers came up with a defensive game plan that gave them fits. And then we fast forward to this year and and Miami put up 36 points against the chargers. And so obviously things are different from matchup to matchup and from setup to setup. Another thing that we can look at is the chargers and Vikings game this last week, it finished 28 to 24. Right. But if Kirk Cousins, I think it was 28 to 24 with like 11 minutes left in the fourth quarter. And so if Kirk Cousins is able to convert one of those earlier drives into a touchdown, all of a sudden now instead of 28, 24, it's 31 to 28 with six minutes left. And then Herbert's able to come down and take a lead. And then maybe the Vikings get the ball back with three minutes left and they score with 45 seconds left. And I don't even know what, it's hard to keep track where we're at now, like 38 to 35. Right. And then Herbert gets it with 45 seconds left and goes down and gets field goal. It's 38, 38, goes to overtime. And um final score is like 45 to 38 or something like that. And so the, those end of game situations can so dramatically affect that final score that we also have to take those things into account. But yeah, one of the things that I like as a data point is looking at past matchups because we can gather information from that. So Josh Allen threw for in his two regular season meetings against Miami last year threw for 704 yards. uh, And I believe it was six touchdown passes uh, across those two regular season meetings. Um, And then in the playoffs had like another really solid game against Miami. Uh, Miami only managed to score eight total offensive touchdowns in three games against the Bills. They had a bunch of field goals in the regular season games. Uh, Playoff game, they had a defensive touchdown, but they also had Skylar Thompson under center. So there's a lot of kind of additional elements have to be looked at with those types of things. But I do love looking at past games to get a sense of things. Uh, One of the things that we also want to keep in mind is – All of this is information in the bucket. There's nothing that the the more science-driven we get with our process, the more math-driven we get with our process, the more we put ourselves in a position where we're just trying to build optimal builds, which is what most of our competition is trying to do in in terms of like maximizing points. And then we basically block off our paths to those first-place finishes. Uh, So we also want to be thinking about Putting all of this information into the bucket so that we can then build rosters and know what looks really sharp, but also have an opportunity. Like one of the players I was thinking about this morning is Devonte Smith. Well, you're not going to drill down in the numbers and be like, oh, Devonte Smith in the seven Ks on DraftKings is one of the sharpest plays when you've got Devonte Adams price just above him. You've got Jamar Chase price just above him, Stephon Diggs price just above him, Justin Jefferson, Tyreek Kill a little bit higher than that. But last year, Washington. Well, actually, Washington tends to filter targets away from first reads. Uh, Last year, they kind of went out of their way to try to slow down A.J. Brown. And Devontae Smith had two really nice games against Washington last year. So little things like that we also want to be opening ourselves up to as those opportunities to move away from what's just mathematically optimal. Uh, And then last thought here is, yeah, that Tennessee-Cincinnati setup. It's so interesting because Tennessee just gives up so many yards through the air. And so many passing attempts because most teams don't try to run on them, but then they typically tighten up in the red zone. So you have these, you know, you look through the numbers and it's like Tennessee gives up the most passing yards this year. They're giving up the, the highest deep, deep pass play rate. Uh, don't get any pressure, but then you go through their game logs and it's a lot of like 20 points scored, 17 points scored, 21 points scored every once in a while though, you have uh, you know, Buffalo scored 41 against them last year. A couple other teams scored like 35 and 34 Um, same thing with Cincinnati, right? Cincinnati has very much been take what the defense gives us, which is disappointing because, you know, obviously the defense is trying to take away Justin Jefferson downfield on the Vikings. And yet Minnesota is able to figure out a way to scheme him open and, and force the defense to account for him all, all across the formation and all the different things they can do with him. And the Bengals aren't really finding a way to do that with Jamar Chase, but this is a week where they're playing a team that does allow downfield passing and doesn't get pressure on the quarterback. Um, so, yeah, that's one of those spots where to me, I'm kind of starting to lean like burrows in my pool, but I'm starting to lean toward like the pass catchers tend to be more valuable against Tennessee than the quarterbacks because it's PPR scoring on draft. You get so much volume that if Jamar Chase is seeing 14 targets, right, he can catch 11 for 140 yards. And even if he only scores one touchdown, that's a really nice day. But for burrow, if he only gets two passing touchdowns, you know, that's not getting you where you need to get to. So, um, yeah, that's an interesting spot. And one where it's like, Ooh, the ceiling's high on the Bengals, but their chances of hitting that ceiling aren't as high as some of these other spots. Um, yeah. Any thoughts from you to piggyback on all that?
1: Um, yeah. Uh, just one thing I, I totally agree. Uh, the, the games that I have uh, on that notebook are just like simply to figure out where I can get the highest ceiling. Um, in players, obviously, like, uh, everybody changes. There's so many, like, I think, factorials that go into um, DFS itself. There's just numbers upon numbers. And, I mean, you can – at the end of the day, you can use any number you want to rationalize a certain play. But, yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, I mean, like, you know, you never know what's going to happen. It's they're, they're all different. Every game is different. So, uh, I just do the best that I can at that.
0: Point. Yeah. Yeah, so much of it is – so much of it is putting enough information into the bucket that you can have a feel for what's the best plays. Um, I guess it's one of the best ways to say it is the more information you take in and the more you train your mind to not latch. I think people have a tendency to latch on to one piece of information, right? And it's like, oh, well, because of this stat, I'm playing this guy. And so instead for it to be like, okay, I have 50 stats on all these different players or or 50 data points on all these different players, all these different games, and that allows me to have a more nuanced view of, of what's likeliest to happen. And it's like, uh, you know, one an interesting question would be like who has a higher ceiling, Joe Burrow or Josh Allen? Well, I guess Josh Allen could put up like a 40 pointer and Joe Burrow probably can't, but realistically their ceilings aren't that different. And the real question is who has a higher percentage chance of reaching that ceiling, you know? Um, or you could take like Lamar Jackson on any given week, Justin Fields on any given week. They have one of the highest ceilings on the slate, but their chances of reaching that ceiling are going to be lower than a lot of other guys. And so uh, also finding that blend. And so for me also like in that regard, if I'm putting Devonte Smith on a roster, his ceiling is as high as all the other guys. His chances of reaching those ceilings is, is going to be a lot lower than the other guys. So because I now have Devonte Smith, depending on the type of tournament I'm in, if, if I'm playing against, 5,000 or fewer entries that Devonte Smith roster is going to have a lot of certainty in other spots. Um, in other words, if I'm taking on like a lot of uncertainty on one player, I want to balance that by not having a bunch of other uncertain pieces, but then to say, okay, here are a bunch of high confidence bets mixed around. This guy is another, I think critical point for building rosters. If I'm playing like large field play, I'm likelier to be like, okay, Devonte Smith as a low, lower confidence play. And this other guy is a lower confidence play. And this other is a lower confidence play, but the smaller the tournament field, the more I want to, you know I want to take one or two swings like that but then building a bunch of confidence uh, around those guys um any thoughts on on this this Broncos and bears um, game because it is so interesting it's like I'll say it like this we always there's always this tendency when you have two really bad teams to be like, oh my gosh like these defenses are so bad there's gonna be a bunch of points scored and then it turns out like, well the offenses are bad too right so it ends up just being a bad game and yet and yet are the bronc is the broncos offense that bad like is justin fields that bad like we've seen justin fields put up monster dfs scores and we've seen the broncos kind of come together like they have a a lot of pieces exactly
1: so it's like it's not the same thing
0: could they piece it all together this weekend i think that's such an interesting game and such a such a hard game to like, it won't be completely crossed off my list, but it's a it, like, I'll, I'll have exposure to that game in large field play. The question is like, how close, how much exposure and then how close can that game push to my tighter builds? Like I could see having, you say I have like, I don't know, 10 to 12 single entry, three max rosters. I could see having one or two of those rosters dedicated to that game. Um, But could it push to like, a main build. It's just such an interesting spot. Yeah. Any, any thoughts there as you kind of work through that game?
1: Yeah. I have a, I have a slight like narrative in my head created for this game. Um, The Broncos just got 70 points scored on them. The coach has a ton of pressure. Um, Fields is probably super frustrated with how his season has been. Probably did not expect that. Um, I think both teams are really frustrated and ready to show everybody that uh, that's not who they are. (laughs) <laughs> so far and uh i think they're both going to come out fighting so hopefully that says enough yeah i mean it's, yeah,
0: the <clears throat> we probably don't have time to go through all the numbers here but let me pull up a few of them so uh ddoa which it, if you guys didn't know is now hosted on ftn ftn really awesome site uh but DVOA defensive numbers let me make sure that i'm on the right so um Team DVOA, so if you're not familiar with DVOA, it's basically like schedule-adjusted rankings. It's one of the most respected statistics in terms of assessing a, a team as a whole. Uh, Broncos are 32nd in team DVOA. The Bears are 30th. Uh, Broncos are 32nd in pass defense DVOA. The Bears are 31st. Broncos are 30th in rush defense DVOA. The Bears are 16th another interesting stat to pay attention to is pressure rate, because we can get a sense from that of basically like how uncomfortable the quarterback is in the pocket. Denver Broncos rank dead last in the NFL on defense in pressure rate. The bears have the fifth lowest pressure rate in the NFL. So you have two defenses that are just, I mean, awful and also don't get pressure on the quarterback. We, we said it yesterday that um, I think it was on this show that I said that, you know, I was going to say that Jared Goff is like an elite quarterback when, when he has a clean pocket. And then, and then I realized like, well, yeah, that's true, but that's also not saying much because most quarterbacks are pretty good. These are NFL quarterbacks are pretty good when they have a clean pocket. Like both of these guys are going to have a clean pocket this week. It's, um, yeah, it's such an interesting game because it feels like one of the, in fact, let, let's say like this, Buffalo has a tremendous defense, right? Um, what makes Miami so difficult to defend is their speed, their pre-snap motion, and their field stretching ability. And if you haven't seen it before, it, it like you get on the field and it looks so different in real life than it does on film. But if you've seen it, like the Bills saw it three times last year, right? The Patriots saw it two times last year, and we saw that they were able to, to devise a game plan a couple of weeks ago that slowed down that Miami offense. So it wouldn't be surprising. If Miami at their price tags aren't able to pay off what you need in this match against Buffalo, it wouldn't be surprising if Vic Fangio, one of the greatest defensive coordinators of all time, first year in Miami, is able to slow down the Bills enough that they're not the pieces you had to have this week uh, in the Raiders and Chargers game. Like it wouldn't Justin Herbert is so high priced as a pocket passer, it wouldn't be surprising if he puts up 22 DraftKings points and Keenan Allen puts up 23 and Austin Eckler puts up 20. And none of those are pieces that you needed to have. It wouldn't be shocking if Jalen Hurts gets 25 points at 8K. All that to say, like, it wouldn't be surprising if all these other spots, sure, they play out nice, but they're not the spots you had to have. And then all of a sudden, Justin Fields goes for 38 points. You know, it's like, um, so yeah, it is such an interesting game because it could literally be, I mean, it could be, it could bomb, but it could literally still be the game that you had to have on in smaller field contests. Um Russell Wilson, you know, he's 35 years old. He doesn't run that much anymore. So to me, like, I very much look at him as just a pocket passer yeah. at this point. It's like, he's got to get that <laughs> 300 yards and, and two or three touchdowns. Um, But fields is only 700 more than Russ this week. And it's like, if Russ is putting up 300 passing yards and three touchdowns, isn't fields probably like keeping pace in that game environment and putting up a big game on the ground. So, uh, yeah, that almost leads us into building a roster. Do we want to build a roster around this game today and just kind of see what it, what it might look like and um, allows us to do something different than the field um, while potentially building around the game that, that people will have to have this week?
1: Yeah, I, I'm totally down for doing that. Um, I do want to like add one, one side note here. Yeah. Totally off topic, but um, we talked about this yesterday it is like the barren desert when it comes to tight ends this week. It is, I mean, it is hard. So I did a little like digging and i like tried to figure out like what teams are um, like bad against tight ends. And obviously, uh, you know, the Eagles are pretty bad, um, but I didn't really like look for the commander side end. Um,
0: yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, what were you like? I was, it's my, weird to like judge tight end defense too, because um you know a team can go a whole season without facing like a really good tight end another team like yeah. a team in the AFC West is facing Kelsey two times a year and like in, in the past Waller two times a year like their numbers look all out of whack you know um but yeah I, I i mean there's nothing like i don't know the the Logan Thomas is the is the Commanders tight end and he's like a dead-legged 32 year old um, <laughs> who's had like multiple lower body injuries over the last couple of years. Um, Yeah. No, I mean, there's, there's literally, there's literally like nothing. Yeah. Philly looks like they're ranked 32nd in fantasy points allowed right now, but um, it's it's tough to know where to go.
1: Yeah. So what I ended up finding was that like the, the closest team to this slate um, like points wise given is the the Panthers, which is averaging like seven points per game given to the uh, tight end spot. So that's Hawkinson is the best spot I could find there. And then he's, um, I think he's averaging uh, 7.8 targets per game, which is great. It's what you want. So uh, yeah. Yeah. He's also really expensive though. He's 6'5". So, I mean, you're going to like trying to have to figure out where you're going to like save salary. Because obviously everybody tries to save salary a lot of the time in tight end spot. And you're not going to save it with uh, TJ Hawkinson. So you're going to have to move to somebody else. Yeah, and,
0: and it is, in a sense, it becomes a, a pay-up-to-be-contrarian-type spot in that, because realistically, we talked about it yesterday, but Hawkinson's average depth of target is like four to five yards downfield. So he's not catching high upside passes. So it's easy for him to catch. I mean, we can see it in his game log so far, You know, eight catches for 78 yards, seven for 66 yards, eight for 35 yards, right? Like he's averaging under 10 yards a catch. And and in some of these times under five yards a catch. So he's compiling these numbers, these PPR numbers, but he really has to score multiple touchdowns in order to be a useful piece. And if you're paying 6,500 for him on a week with pretty thin value, that means you're not paying, you know, seven K for one of these elite wide receivers that you could be going to, or the Josh Jacobs or whoever it might be at the same time, like a lot of people won't necessarily go that direction or it won't be as common of a roster approach. So if he does end up having one of those 25 point games, you know, you, you have an edge on the field in the way that they're building. They're all getting six, like the positional advantage at tight end. They're, they're all getting six or seven points at the tight end position. And you're kind of getting this elite score from TJ Hawkinson. So um, yeah, I mean, I, I can't argue against it. Obviously the roster construction that you end up with is very different and you got to find some some salary savers you know as a result uh could go to those cheaper carolina pass catchers opposite tj hawkinson unfortunately bryce young is back this week i say unfortunately because the panthers aren't really opening up the offense as much uh, bryce young is dead last in the nfl in pass attempts of 20 plus yards he has one such pass attempt all season um so you're kind of looking for like same thing on the, on the Panther side is like just stats piling up. Um, you know, I, I think that the chargers tight ends could be interesting with Mike Williams out, especially if Eckler ends up being out again. Uh, I think Cole Komet is interesting. Yeah. he's uh, on my list, but yeah, it's, it's a thin position uh, for sure this week. So. I'll just,
1: I, I just a quick one to read off my list. It's five guys. So I got Hawkinson, Kittle commit, and then I have two, Two people who today apparently one of them, Gerald Everett, has an illness, and then Tyler Higby, um, he missed practice today because of an Achilles issue. Interesting.
0: Oh, yeah. I think, uh, with the Achilles McVase, like kind of downplayed it and said it was going to be fine. Um, Everett, if Everett missed, that would be interesting just because Donald Parham is like an athletic freak and you know would step into a larger role in that spot. You know, Jake Ferguson also on the Cowboys, not a great matchup against New England, but. Uh, his target counts so far on the year are seven, four, and seven. Um, heading into last week, I think he had eleven targets, and eight of them were in the red zone. So it's like he's very much a critical piece for that offense when they get close to scoring range. Uh, so that's a place where you could kind of take a swing, but it does it does almost become that thing of hope you land on the guy who scores a touchdown this week because if you don't, you know you're a few points behind everybody else. Uh, obviously looking for maybe the guy who could have a blow up game, but it just doesn't seem like that is that nothing's standing out as the guy who could really do that this week. Um, I mean,
1: if we're, if we're going with the, the uh, Broncos bears game, I think we should, we should put combat in there.
0: Yeah. And I think that the, you know, we can start this, we can start out this roster here. I'll pull it onto the screen, but we can start out this roster uh, with Justin Fields and Cole Komet as our starting point. And then we can ask ourselves if we want to, obviously DJ Moore and Cole Komet are the two central pieces of this passing attack. So we can ask ourselves if we want to go with DJ Moore, or if we want to just go with the skinny stack and say, Hey, Justin Fields ends up running for a bunch of yards in this game. Uh, I think either way is viable. Obviously the bears are trying to turn him into more of a pocket passer. And with the clean pocket, we could see more passing from him this week, something like 60 rushing yards, but then he throws for, and he's not going to throw for 300, but if he throws for 250 uh, and gets 60 rushing yards, that's 16 points right there. Rushes for a touchdown, that's 22. Throws for two more, that's 30 points. He ends up being a really nice piece, and, and, you know, Komet and DJ Moore could both get a touchdown. Or we could just go Komet you know, hope that the touchdowns fall on him, and, and that's really the piece that you needed to have.
1: Um. Yeah, let's try DJ Moore. I wanted to do a bring back with Sutton. Um, That's probably viable, seeing as the price is lower than DJ Moore. Um, yeah, yeah, let's take up space though.
0: Right. And so what we could do here is because again, we're targeting first place. So in a sense, we want to make sure that if we're placing a bet, we're truly placing that bet, but because so much of Field's value comes from his legs, like I just said, okay, he's probably not throwing for more than two hundred fifty yards well, then it is harder for him to support two pass catchers. So it's kind of like you could play it both ways. If I'm having fields this week, I'll have some uh, fields plus more with no commit. I'll have some fields plus commit with no more, and then I'll have some fields with both. But I'll probably have a smaller number of fields with both than I will of fields with just one of them because so much of his value comes from his legs that we're not necessarily betting on him having a big game through the air. So we can start with DJ more and then that gives us the flexibility to, uh, to move in different directions here. So um, with this starting point, where do you want to go next on this build? Do you want to go kind of see what high price player we can fit, or you want to see where we can save salary at defense or, or what's next for you?
1: Yeah, let's go uh, defense just so we can figure out what high priced uh, players we can grab on this slate. And my defenses, I have five that I like this week. Well, I just write down five. Um, my first one is the Browns. I, this is in no specific order, but I do like the Browns the most this week, just because they're a great defense. Um, I got Browns, Bucks, Saints, Bengals, Eagles, and I used this um, a strategy you told me last year was like you have to think it's like a thought strategy. Do can this team get like ten points? Can they go off for an explosive defensive game? And uh, I ask myself that every time. With all of these teams, I don't know about the Bucs. I just don't know how their defense plays. Um, I know the Eagles and Browns can. Um, Saints have been doing really well uh, defensively this year. They're like nine, nine points each game. I think they got like a bad first game, like two points or something. But uh, let me check.
0: Yeah, the Bucks are. Bucks are one of the highest blitz wow. rate. Bucks are one of the highest blitz rate teams in the NFL. Um, really excellent defensive defensive head coach in Todd Bowles. And taking on Jameis Winston, who is, you know, a, a gunslinger without a filter to his decisions. He's just going to um, to to throw the ball. If he wants to throw the ball, it turns into a lot of turnover. So, um, yeah, I, I mean, any of those, I like all those defenses. When you were kind of saying that list and I was scrolling through, I also spotted the Texans, uh, who we know are a much better defense than people give them credit for at home against Kenny Pickett. So that's another interesting one. But, yeah, let's go ahead and pick one from your list. And I don't think that there's, I don't think there's a right or wrong answer among any of those Uh Cincinnati's not getting a ton of pressure so far this year, but Ryan Tannehill has looked pretty bad. So I don't mind that one, but uh, let's go with one of the other four on, on this roster. And I guess since we, we went with the Browns yesterday, why don't we go with one of the other three?
1: Okay. <laughs> um, Narrow it down for us. <laughs> yeah. Let's go with, uh, let's go with the Bucks. Wait, which one's cheaper? Because we are trying to save salary here. So yeah, Saints. Bucks are
0: thirty-three. Um, Saints are. Yeah, let's go with the Bucks. Okay, cool. So throw that Bucks defense on here. Obviously, we we prefer a home defense over a road defense, but I'm not as much of a stickler for that as other as other people are. You know, just because crowd noise can make such a difference for a quarterback and his ability to make those checks at the line and and get everything going in the right direction. But the fact that we're getting the Bucks against Jameis Winston. In his you know first game back on the field this year, in fact, he only played three games last year before he got hurt, and then Andy Dalton took over and, and stuck around for the rest of the season. So um, you know Jameis is pretty rusty overall. He's basically been a backup over the last few years, and so uh, yeah, getting getting the Bucks aggressive defense against Jameis Winston, I like that, and that leaves us with sixty three hundred in salary. So we want to, I think on this week, obviously we're always targeting thirty point scores. But we want to recognize that there are probably going to be multiple 30-pointers among these higher-priced running backs and wide receivers. So ideally, we want to make sure we get at least one of those guys on our roster. And if we're able to get two, all the better. So we have four spots left to kind of see if we're able to get, make sure that we get at least one of those guys and potentially try to get two of those guys. By the way, uh, one of the things that I came across yesterday that I thought was pretty wild Uh, Devontae Adams has the highest – this is from Fantasy Points data. uh, Devontae Adams has the highest first read rate in the NFL. So in terms of like plays on which he's the first read, he's number one in the NFL. Jacoby Myers is number 16. Like this entire offense is just like we're throwing the ball to one of these two guys. Uh, So Jacoby Myers priced where he's priced really stands out to me as a guy who is seeing like elite – first read usage um, and can actually be paired with Devonte Adams, which, which most people wouldn't do, but, uh, but yeah, so he's a guy down here in the kind of 5k range. And there's some other guys down here in the 5k range. Uh, we can try to free up enough salary to see what upside pieces we can get.
1: Okay. Awesome. Uh, there's also one more. Uh, it's a running back for the uh, Broncos. Uh, what's his name? Javante Williams. Javante Williams. Yes, sir. I have him on my list. I was just trying to find him. Ooh. He is what? Is he five three? Well, hold on. Oh, would we would we want to use him if we're playing against the Broncos? We're saying that. I mean, they're still going to run against um, Chicago.
0: Yeah, yeah, and you know, with with <laughs> us having DJ Moore and Cole commit what we're basically saying is that we. It's hard to pin down Fields throwing three touchdown passes. So we're basically saying he's probably going to rush for one. He's going to throw two touchdown passes uh and this is going to be a game where both teams are scoring points ideally the bears are scoring four touchdowns in this game and feels it's accounting for all four of them and in that type of game the you're hoping that the broncos are also scoring four touchdowns and so getting multiple pieces from the broncos is a good way to overstack the game to say hey this is the game environment right like because like we said the defense are so bad and maybe the offenses aren't as bad as they have looked and so if that ends up being the case, maybe this game's like 35 to 31. Maybe it's just this crazy shootout, and we don't have that in other spots. So, yeah, I, I like the idea of having multiple pieces. Javante Williams is one of these high-ceiling, uh, low-confidence plays because he's kind of been capped at 12 to 13 carries. I don't know what Sean Payton's doing with this backfield. Javante Williams uh, is an awesome talent, and we saw him a couple years ago you know, blowing up for all these big games. And then Sean Payton's kind of curbing his workload. But uh, every week I've looked at him and been like, man, what if Javante Williams gets 16 carries instead of 12? What if he gets 17 carries instead of 12? And I believe that in week one, he saw heavy pass game usage. Uh, yeah, week one, he saw six targets and then three targets, three targets since then. So uh, yeah, I like the play because I don't think people will, will be on him. It's kind of the confidence is low on this play at this point.
1: That's that's um, actually kind of funny that you say that because I, I kind of believe the opposite solely because um... – I'm just like I'm on TikTok a lot. I'm on uh, social media, and everybody's like all over him this week. Really? Yeah. Really. Well, you <laughs> I think know, he's Bears, be really chalky. The Bears
0: have a reputation as a bad run defense, um, you know, and obviously we're we're not afraid of chalk, especially if we're playing it. Sometimes chalk is chalk that you had to have, and then other times, you know, you're playing chalk, but you're playing it in a unique way. The the let's say Javante Williams is 18% owned. Uh, well, Javante Williams plus Cortland Sutton, plus Justin Fields, plus DJ Moore, plus Cole Komet is going to be 0.1% owned, you know? So if he has his big game as part of this whole block, having a big game, it doesn't matter to us that he's high owned. Uh, and you actually bring an interesting perspective with being on social media, being on TikTok and whatnot, because, you know, this is something that Cubs fan used to do. Part of his research was he would listen to serious XM fantasy podcasts and DFS podcasts, because that was what the quote normies were listening to. Like the people who weren't drilling down into data and, and reading the sites that this DFS bubble reads and listens to. Right. So I would actually estimate that Javante Williams will come in with lower ownership projections early in the week during, like through algorithm driven ownership projections that are based on over unders and usage and all that and and projections. Projection systems are a big part of um, early week ownership projections. And then every once in a while, there are these plays that uh, Sonic, who's uh, you know, if you're not familiar with him, MilliMaker winner, uh, one of the content providers on OWS. Uh, Sonic also pays attention to a lot of like outside noise. And there will be pieces that Sonic's like uh, this guy's projected at 10% owned, but he's going to be owned much higher. Or it's like this guy's projected at 18% owned, but he's going to be owned lower because nobody outside the bubble is talking about him. And so, uh, yeah, that's an interesting perspective because I wouldn't, I would expect that there's a group of players, the people who are on OWS, who are on ETR, uh, they're not going to necessarily be flocking to Javante Williams. And yet he might still be somewhat high owned. So, uh, yeah, glad that you brought that up. And uh, if he's high owned, it won't really matter on this roster because he's on this roster in such a unique way
1: okay awesome i'm glad that he's that we can put him on here and um moving on to the next spot um so i'm gonna ask you you were mentioning you know pairing Devonte Adams with uh, jacoby myers he's 8k our remaining salary is seven one so that'll put us at uh, like what six nine two yeah six two i mean so will we should we grab Devonte adams or should we maybe try to get a higher priced running back instead
0: yeah, I would, you know, with this oh amount gosh. of salary left over, we're in kind of a weird place because it would be awesome to get multiples. It would be awesome to get, you know, Devontae Adams and Jamar Chase or something like that. Um, Devontae Adams and Keenan Allen. But we're gonna be a little bit shy on on salary for getting that. So one interesting angle would be to see if there's any way to go down from DJ Moore and yes. fit in two of it. these. High priced guys. I don't know that there necessarily is a way to do that, but let's throw Keenan Allen and Devontae Adams onto this roster because it's a this would give us such a unique build. Like who is pairing uh Devontae Adams and Jacoby Myers together? Almost nobody. Who is doing that? And obviously, this isn't going to work salary-wise, but we can push around and see what we might be able to do on this roster. Who is taking two pass catchers without their quarterback? Almost nobody uh and so we're able to bet like have a secondary stack on that chargers raiders game that is capable of blowing up of going off um while doing it in a a unique way that kind of separates us from the field so uh yeah so we've gone down to the browns defense we have uh freed up some extra salary still pretty thin if we're going to go down to this cheaper running back range so some other things we could think about here are one, we don't need uh, Cortland Sutton on this roster. We have Javante Williams. So the, I think it's noteworthy that there's only been one instance this season through three games of a Broncos pass catcher going over seven targets. So Cortland Sutton had that 11 target game, but every other pass catcher across the Broncos across three games has seen seven or fewer targets. So uh, Sutton topped seven targets one time. That's the only time a Broncos pass catcher has topped seven targets. And that was very much Sean Payton's MO up until the, like there was a a period of Marquez Colston being like an an elite pass catcher where he would see heavy usage. And then obviously Michael Thomas, when Drew Brees' arm couldn't throw downfield anymore, Michael Thomas was always open underneath. He'd see like 14 targets a game. But generally speaking, Sean Payton's thing is, spread the ball around and we've seen it with Marvin Mims played only 15 snaps again last week because Sean Payton's like, we've got all these personnel packages and little Jordan Humphrey's got to get on the field as well. You know, it's like he wants to mix and (laughs) match all these pieces and and kind of throw the defense off with who's on the field and all that. So like it wouldn't be shocking if Sutton only sees six or seven targets in this spot. Uh, And it's easy to just assume that he's going to be the alpha this week. So yeah, um, this gives us freedom to kind of say, okay, who's the lowest priced viable running back? And what I mean by that is if you've got guys like Kyron Williams and Zach Moss and Miles Sanders with these big roles up at 6K, like you probably don't want to go down to like the 5K guy with a minimal role. So who is the running back we can go to? And then can we find a salary saver that makes this all work? Um, So yeah, go ahead.
1: I have like an interesting question I've seen back and forth about what's going to happen this week with the Vikings um, run game. I'm seeing that since Cam Akers has integrated into Vikings, um, he is going to be the number one running back. And I've also seen vice versa. Like he's just going to be like getting 20% of the, the snaps.
0: Yeah. This is where we go to the human tendency to be binary in our thinking and for people want to take a stand, right? So, you mm-hmm. want like a content provider wants to, and it's like an uphill battle that OWS had to fight in the early going was our willingness to be nuanced in what we say. There's a tendency to either say this is still Alexander Madison's backfield or to say Cam Akers is going to take over this backfield. The truth is, we honestly don't know. Uh, I'm kind of Estimating that it'll be a a 55 45 split in favor of Madison, which would sap the upside for for both guys or the opportunities for upside for both guys. At the same time, uh, Panthers near the bottom of the league in most advanced run defense metrics. So the Vikings, fundamentally, they're a pass first team, but they are still going to run the ball and the matchup will tilt them to run it a little bit more. So I could see both guys getting 14 or more carries in this spot It's just being one of those weeks where the Vikings focus on the ground game where both guys get involved. Um, Kevin O'Connell is is very much, you know, he was a he was a player. He's very much a player's coach. I don't, I don't think that he is just going to pull the rug out from under Alexander Madison and be like, all right, now, you know, now you're getting 20% of the snaps. Um, just paying attention to the team, understanding that coach, that coaching staff well. I would be very surprised if Cam Akers stepped into a full lead back workload right off the bat, but it could happen, you know, and he's 4,900. And and so that's certainly within the realm of possibilities. Uh, Jerome Ford, you know, kind of split work with Kareem Hunt and with Pierre strong last week. And this is what I'm talking about. Like, you know, you spend just a little bit more and you have like a a guy in Zach Moss, who's going to get, you know, 25 plus touches most game you have a guy in kyron williams who has uh only carry counts of 15 14 and 10 but target counts of 10 and 7 across his last two games so to me i kind of want to get up to one of those guys rather than doubling you know there's already some uncertainty on javante williams workload so if we double up on uncertainty um that makes it a little bit tougher for us on our path to that first place finish
1: okay awesome uh, i am Totally down for going with Jerome Ford. I he um Kyron Williams wasn't even on my radar. I kind of I didn't even know he had a 20 28 point game that was against the Niners. He had a 28 point game against the Niners.
0: Yeah, and he was that was Kim Akers was announced as inactive, like and it was the afternoon game and nobody played Kyron Williams. And Xander basically pivoted all of his rosters that had like pivotal pivot flexibility over to Kyron Williams because he's like, he's gonna be. He's going to get all the touches. He's going to be one percent owned or below. Yeah, uh, and Denver ended up taking down thirty-five grand in the Yahoo. Dang. with uh, just switching over to Kyron Williams,
1: um, dude, that's awesome.
0: Yeah, I mean, he has a big pass game role in this offense, so that helps a ton. Um, but yeah, no, I like. I would prefer to skip over Jerome Ford and go to one of these guys who has like the more locked in workload. Either Miles Sanders because we know he's going to get touches, or Zach Moss or Kyron Williams. Um, even James Connor in that bad matchup against San Francisco, just somebody that we know is going to get touches and eliminate some guesswork
1: here. Okay, awesome. Yeah, I'm. I'm totally cool with doing Kyron Williams. Um, I have Zach Moss on my my like top five, but uh, I want to switch around a little bit. So
0: cool. Yeah, um, and Whoa. this gives us, you know it, this makes salary tight, but the the I'll, I'll tell you who's actually pretty viable down here is Ross Downs. Oh. oh, what who about, do you have? What's what about here? um. Quentin uh, Johnston. If we want to take the swing, if we Let's want take to take the swing, man. All right. All right. Uh, yeah. Quentin Johnston, in my opinion, should not have been a first round draft pick. The really? uh, chargers don't know how to draft wide receivers at the top of the draft. Mike Williams, great NFL wide receiver also should not have been the number seven overall pick in his draft, but uh, they could be forced to use him more. You know, we, I think we had Josh Palmer yesterday, or at least we talked about Josh Palmer. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm down with throwing um, Quentin Johnson on here. It's definitely higher upside than Josh Downs, um, lower floor than Josh Downs. But he fits perfectly and he fits with the story that we're telling with Jacoby Myers, Devontae Adams, Keenan Allen on this roster. Uh, and, yeah, it becomes a very interesting build. And what we're basically saying with this roster is that, the, that Justin Fields has a huge game, right? And that it primarily comes on the ground that uh, Javante Williams is getting the touchdowns for the Broncos, that Cole Komet catches one or two touchdowns, right? But we're not necessarily even saying that that's the game you had to have. And then we're saying Las Vegas and Los Angeles just shoots out. And so all these guys are accumulating points. What's interesting about it is most people would say, okay, this game shoots out. I got to get the quarterback from that game. But we're saying Justin Fields can put up, if that game shoots out, Justin Herbert probably gets 30 points. But Justin Fields can get, 38 to 40 points, like just because of his legs, he can rush for a hundred yards and he can do it on five carries, you know, (laughs) like he can break off 40, 50 yard runs. So the fact that we're placing a bet that makes a lot of sense, but that's so unique in the way it's put together is something I really like on this roster, probably a roster. I would lean toward more in large field play. Um, just because of the, or I guess like a blend of, I wouldn't play it in like super small field because I don't necessarily want Quentin Johnson in, in super small field play. Uh, I don't necessarily want Javante Williams that again, what's what's been a lower workload in super small field play. And then you don't want to play this in like the Millie Maker because it's harder for like four players, two players from the Raiders, two players from the Chargers to be on that optimal Millie Maker lineup. But sort of that like 20,000 entry to 5,000 entry tournament range would be the type of place where I'd want to put a roster like this, uh, definitely a really interesting roster. And I like the way it came together because it was very organic. And I think that's something, something that a lot of DFS players miss, right. Is they're looking at the projections and they're just saying, okay, what are the best plays and how do I fit as many of the best plays as possible onto here where like, if you're watching this, listening to this, you see in our thought process, how we're just like messing around with different setups and building really sharp rosters around them. So we're we're telling a cohesive story and if that story plays out, fields having a big game plus um Raiders and and Chargers shooting out, all of a sudden like we're targeting a first place finish with getting those two things right uh because we've let our minds sort of work through these these stories, these theories. We haven't held on to individual players that we had to play and it's given us this really unique roster. Uh, Keegan, any final thoughts on this build or anything else before we get out of here?
1: Um, yeah, just one thing. I, I think that this, uh, like, it doesn't seem, like, probable. Obviously, it, it's a low probability, but it's still possible. Um, he did it twice in, uh, like, back-to-back weeks uh, last season. He, I think he passed, like, two really long touchdown passes to Cole Komet and then scored two himself, like, ran them in, I'm pretty sure. Uh, Do you know what game I'm talking about?
0: Yeah. Just what you're talking about last year with Justin Fields.
1: Yeah. 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 Anyway, I, that's all I'm saying. I'm just, I think that this is, it's a like, like it's not a likely outcome, but it's a probable outcome. Yeah. I mean, like with fields,
0: he put up 40 plus points in back-to-back games last year Yeah, and he was 5,500 the first game and pretty low owned. I had him on, it was like there had, things have been trending up for him. And I'd actually told your dad that I was like, Fields is the, like, you got to get Fields on your season long roster. Like, this dude's going to start blowing up. And he was like, really? Justin Fields? And I was like, <laughs> one. like, this dude is starting to come around. His offense is starting to come around. And there was like, it was like two or three weeks later that this happened. And I had started bumping up my Fields ownership kind of each week leading up to that. And then that week, it was like, I think this is the week it happens. We talked about it a lot on the site. I had 50% of him in large field play, had him on my main roster. And he had this monster game. And then the next week his price went up to like 7K. He had another monster game. And his price had stayed up there ever since then because people kept being like, okay, when's the next one going to come? When's the next one going to come? And it just didn't happen last year. And then the offense has looked so bad this year. They've taken away these designed run concepts that were so valuable last year, so effective last year. Uh, But yeah, I mean, this is like, this is very much a get right spot against the Broncos. And we want to bet on things that if you get them right, you get them all the way right. Um, and so if you get, you know, the cheap pocket passer, right, he might go for 22 points. That's not winning you a tournament. If we get fields, if we get fields wrong, we're in the same position we are with most other choices that you're going to make. But if you get him right, then there's a chance that he's the guy you had to have. There's a chance he puts up 40 plus points and no other quarterback tops 30. And you're just so far ahead of the field. So, yeah, I mean, I, I like this build and I like the fact that we are not just hedging around like, okay, Justin Fields and Cole Comet, and then, like, the rest of our roster is one-offs. We're like, dude, let's tell a couple cohesive stories, and if we get those two stories right, like, talk about giving yourself fewer things you need to get right. You know, like, we get these two stories right, and we're competing for a first-place finish just with that. And um the the Raiders Chargers one, like, that's a very – that that's not a stretch to tell that story. And uh so now we just really need Fields to have a big game. That's the second part of our story. If it happens, we're sitting pretty. Love it. All right. So with that, so uh, Keegan, we'll record again tomorrow, Friday, which will bring us to um, which will go on air Friday night or Saturday morning. Uh, our, our bank machine, our optimizer video last week was our most watched video so far. So uh, we'll run another series on that just to like give you more opportunity to ask questions and kind of poke around on things and um, kind of keep giving people uh, again, if you're, Newer to an optimizer, it's a really great video to help you understand how to leverage it. But also, even if you're not using an optimizer, it can help you kind of see how we piece together our thoughts for our tournament rosters to lead us to our single entry three max rosters. So, uh, yeah, that'll be the next DFS lab. With that, we will get out of here. As always, thanks for hanging out. We will see you on one week season throughout the weekend. We will see you at the top of the leaderboards on Sunday.